Hello, my name is Connie, his name is Tyler, and we have some news for you. You look very gleeful while you're saying that. <laughs> you just seem very uh, very coy about having some news. I mean, we're <clears throat> deep into award season, so I've been seeing a lot of indie films. Um, it's good. I-, I think even though we don't have a front runner just yet, um, it's good that everyone seems to be on equal playing field and the playing field is pretty fucking high so um i don't know i'm excited for the future of filmmaking let me let me pose a question to you real quick connie what if the most critically successful film that comes out during award season isn't your typical oscar bait movie what if perhaps it's a blockbuster uh what would you think about that connie then i would say academy members need to get off their they're high horses and uh, uh, hop on to uh, <laughs> Blade Runner to the, is what we're talking yeah. about. I mean, let's not <laughs> hop on to the future of the year in the year 2049. That was terrible. Um, let's not kid ourselves. There's a lot of good reviews coming out for the Blade Runner sequel 2049, which comes out next week or I guess later this week now that we're recording later this, this week. Finally. Yep. Um, ha. I'm very excited for it. I'm a huge fan of the original one. I'm a huge fan of sci-fi properties, of Harrison Ford, of Ryan Gosling. There's a lot for me to like in this. And we're kind of in a stretch of a couple years where we've got some really, really good blockbusters that are getting awards consideration. And the one that pops out most uh, iconically to me is Mad Max Fury Road. That one was uh, uh, made as just kind of a blockbuster action-y movie that wound up being a huge award success. And based off some of these early reviews for Blade Runner 2049, I would love to see a similar situation go down with this film. Me too. Especially, I think, I'm just going to call it now, best cinematography goes to Roger Deakins mm-hmm. because the trailer alone, you're seeing images that you've not never really seen in a major, you know, $200 million film before. The colors, oh my god. The, the, the mishmash of like orange and turquoise. That's awesome. And I think we um, all know Roger Deakins deserves an Oscar. <laughs> yes. At some point in his life, he should get something. Um, my favorite review of it so far is on Twitter. This guy wrote that he was so staggered by how good it was. It took him six tries to put on his jacket coming out of the theater. Wow. And I'm like, that's that's a good that's a good review. That's a good sign. And I'm actually very excited. We're Obviously, our next podcast is going to be about... Blade Runner 2049, and yes. we're also going to go back and revisit the original Blade Runner, uh, which I just rewatched this week for probably the fifth time in my fifth or sixth time in my life. And man, yes, you sent me a Snapchat video of it. I did, I did of one of my favorite scenes in there. Uh, Wait, I just revealed that I got Snapchat again. Just kidding. <laughs> Nobody knows that Connie has Snapchat. <laughs> uh, I I just the the original Blade Runner is so unique and I don't want to get into it too much but it just makes me excited for movies that all this time went by and they're finally making a sequel and they're making a good sequel. This isn't a a, a franchise that was exploited for uh, just profits in all its sequels. It, it actually wound up being critically good on both ends so far and and that's a huge accomplishment. Uh, by Ridley Scott and Denis Villeneuve. I mean, this it's just really impressive that they've been able to to put out a product this good. Whereas another one of my favorite franchises, here's my segue here. Uh, okay. One of my other favorite franchises, Die Hard, announced that Bruce Willis will be returning for Die Hard 6. 
And this is kind of the opposite side of the of the franchise coin. Uh, they're just dragging this franchise out for money. It hasn't been good since Die Hard 3, let's not kid ourselves. And it's kind of sad that Bruce Willis doesn't seem to like acting that much. He just likes the <laughs> Die Hard paychecks. But I'll watch it, and I'm sure I'll have fun with it. It won't be a good movie, but... Uh... Okay, but what would make Die Hard really good, or if you want to continue on this trend of bringing in up-and-coming indie filmmakers to take over um, mega blockbusters... What if we brought in, like, Wes Anderson directs Die Hard 6? Oh my god, that would be... I, I just don't know that you can reconcile these two types of films. A Wes Anderson is much too charming Bruce Willis be... has been in some Wes Anderson films. He so... has, he has. And he can be charming when he wants to, I think. But, um, I don't know. I would be interested to see a Wes Anderson Die Hard. I can't even wrap my brain around it i would watch the shit out of it don't get me wrong those are two of my of favorite things right there but uh now bruce willis he was in moonrise kingdom right yeah i think so okay did he voice act at all in fantastic mr fox i don't think he did what a segue tyler what a segue <laughs> um no he was not in it william okay. defoe was in it sure sure okay. and uh, as always wes anderson stacked his cast with fantastic mr fox but that's actually what we're going to jump into here today. Connie, you watched Fantastic Mr. Fox this week. Tell us a little bit, bit about what this movie is. Yes, this is a stop-motion film that Wes Anderson made, um, and it's about Mr. Fox, who is a master chicken burglar. <laughs> um, or, yeah. Uh, and he lives with his wife and son and... Uh, he's very unsatisfied with his life and he wants to do more. And so for the hell of it, he goes to rob three human, um, three humans who own monopolies on like some aspect of the food market. So whether it's chickens or, uh, like apple cider, uh, alcoholic apple cider or, um, uh, something else. Um, he just for the hell of it. And just because he's kind of bored with life. Um, he devises plans to show off how good he is at, uh, stealing, stealing things from people. Um, thereby he, uh, endangers his entire family because he gets caught and then he has to go, uh, rescue his kidnapped son. Um, and eventually in the end, uh, everything's all resolved and he realizes that he should be grateful for what he has. Um, what makes this movie stand out as one of, I think, one of Wes Anderson's best and pretty overlooked film. I don't really hear anyone really talking about this film so much. Um, the voice actors are phenomenal. Uh, Mr. Fox is voiced by George Clooney. His wife is voiced magnificently by Meryl Streep. You can't even mm -hmm. hear how it's Meryl Streep. Like, she just, she disappears into the role, weirdly enough, because... Uh, it, she plays and, a stop motion fox yeah <laughs> yeah uh, the son is perfectly voice cast as jason schwartzman like the the son in the movie is a very vain and uh try hard that wants to impress his dad which i mean objectively that's like everything that jason schwartzman acts in is just like he's a try hard in every movie that you see um, impeccably voice cast. It's so funny listening to him, uh, whine and complain. Um, 
um, that I brought up William Defoe earlier because he puts on this like weird accent. He's like randomly the rat villain in this film that mm-hmm. also uses ninja like nunchucks to fight. <laughs> um, it's weird, but uh, it's so much fun. And of course, you get all the Wes Anderson uh, whim whimsy. So like you get the symmetry and you get the very short witty dialogue. Um, There's a motorcycle a chase, of, obviously. You know, there has yes, there seems to have to be always. one in a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't know why people overlook this film. I mean, I did obviously, right? Because you made me watch it. Well, and and, um, and that's why I had you watch this one. Actually, uh, you know, obviously you're a fan of Wes Anderson films. I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson films. And before Grand Budapest, uh, I don't know which movie of his was necessarily the most talked about, but. Life Aquatic was up there. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom was probably his most. Rushmore. Rushmore was up there. Uh, so he had had lots of you know critical successes, but for me, Fantastic Mr. Fox was far and away his best film uh, until Grand Budapest came along. And Grand Budapest uh, remains for me one of the best films of the last fifteen years. I just love it so much. It's it's as close as I will come to, to calling a film a masterpiece in the modern cinematography era. But uh, but Fantastic Mr. Fox held that spot for a while with Wes Anderson's film for me. And I think part of it is due to the medium. Uh, very rarely do you have a big production geared toward adults that is a stop-motion film. And it really lets Wes Anderson showcase his style showcase the storytelling that he wants to do all like you said all the whimsy that he loves uh he's able to pack it all in and really make it feel organic and natural as part of this stop motion world rather than incorporating it with human aspects like he had done in some previous films where it kind of feels a little a little rocky from time to time and then with grand budapest i think he hit the perfect balance between the two and created something wonderful but but fantastic mr fox uh, overlooked because it's animated, I think, which is unfortunate, but uh, we've talked about it on here before. People tend to have an aversion toward animated films for a multitude of reasons, but I, I think it definitely happened with this movie. And they can't, I mean, naysayers can't avoid it for long because this next film, Isle of Dogs, is stop motion. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, that's, uh-huh. we talked about it a little bit when we discussed the trailer last week. I'm, I'm just thrilled that he's going back to stop motion because... Uh, it really lets him unleash as a filmmaker and tell really interesting stories with interesting locations and, and you don't feel very constrained when he when he goes into this medium so uh, hopefully people will go back and revisit Ms. Fantastic Mr. Fox now that Isle of Dogs is going to come out and probably have a little more publicity than Fantastic Mr. Fox did. I think my favorite part of Fantastic Mr. Fox is because it's an adaptation of Rodol's uh, book. Um, I don't know if he intentionally meant this, uh, but anytime any of the characters in the movie cuss, um, they say, they just fill it in with cuss. So, they say cuss. Like, the, <laughs> yeah, so, so like, like uh, Mr. Fox is saying that he, like, he has to do something because he's unsatisfied. So someone like responds like the cuss you are. <laughs> um, it kind of spirals from there. Like he has a scene where Mr. Fox is trying to like buy a house from the Badgers voiced by Bill Murray and they fight and they're just literally just like yelling like the cuss you say to me, the, you know what the cuss I said, cuss you. And like, Oh, it's so funny. And um, uh, actually Wes Anderson voices a character in this as well. He is. Uh, yeah, he, he is does. The weasel. weasel. Yeah. Yep. 
and it's nice to hear yeah. him contribute to one of his works. I, I I don't know. This just feels like such a a lovingly made movie. Uh, it's very emotional for how lighthearted it is. You know, he you can really tell that it has a lot of earnesty and and emotional sincerity behind it, and. Uh, it's got kind of a bittersweet ending in some ways, like uh, the the scene with the wolves is like actually kind of yeah. thought provoking, and and yeah. it ends on a really nice note for a movie about a fox robbing human, you know, farmers and and their subsequent adventures using flaming pine cone grenades, you know, <laughs> like uh, that was so random. But... It's just so fun. There's so much fun yeah. stuff and great imagery in this movie, and. Um, it really stands out apart from not only the rest of the rest of Wes Anderson's filmography, but just filmography in general. You know, it, it's a very unique film, and uh, I don't know. I really encourage people to see this one. I, I don't think you can really call yourself a fan of Wes Anderson unless you see him at his purest, and that's definitely what this movie is. Um, I don't want to lie to people, so I'm going to look this up, but pretty sure this would have taken. An Oscar home for Best Animated Film had Up not come out in the same year. Yes, I believe that's... Um, I think it was Up. I think that's correct. So I think that's why it was overlooked. Also because they kind of shoved it aside into animated film instead of, like, Best Picture. Mm-hmm. When I, I, think, um, I think this one could have had, you know, easily a nomination for Best Picture. Uh, like you said, the whole cast in this is Yeah, great. it went to Up. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, like, you can't give Best acting performances for just voice work which is unfortunate um and there were i'm sure there were other i don't remember exactly how the oscars went that year so i'm sure there were like deserved acting performances that won but but this whole cast is phenomenal in this and wes anderson really knows how to get the most out of these big stars that he brings in he really makes them feel natural in his films without just making them feel like random cameos so before we move on to what you saw this week, mm-hmm. do you mind giving us an impression of Mr. Fox's trademark? Oh, hang on. I can't whistle right now. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. That's what he does every time. <laughs> Wait, that's amazing. <laughs> How often have you practiced that? Uh, so, uh, kind of embarrassingly. That was so good. The, the first time I watched this movie... Uh, I fell in love with it, like wildly in love. I, I, it's, it's everything I want out of a movie. I have a soft spot for animated movies. It's Wes Anderson. It's got great voice talent. Uh, it's just wonderfully whimsical and bizarre. And I told myself I was going to start doing the fantastic Mr. Fox whistle in my everyday life. And fortunately for everyone, that never caught on. So I didn't adopt that quirk. But, um, but what Connie's referencing here is, is uh, Mr. Fox has this little tick whenever he's excited about something or or wants to punctuate something he just said and he gives a little whistle and snaps his fingers at the end and it's what he does every time so so good <laughs> it's kind of sad how often you must have practiced that because it's so good it was like it was like a month on and off like let's not kid ourselves but uh so oh they, there Lord. you go you can take that one home tyler, another tyler loops impersonation on this podcast we're just going to change the theme song to this podcast and just loop that for 10 seconds. <laughs> just a couple really of funny. those over and over. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that, but... Uh, yeah, so Connie, uh, I think I know the answer to this because there's nothing dislikable, in my opinion, about this movie. Would you recommend Fantastic Mr. Fox? Yes. Yeah. I, I, this is one that, like, 
almost any age, almost any type of movie goer, people just would like this film. It's so it's so likable and non-offensive, but also interesting. And it, it's very rare that you get a movie that is completely unoffensive and also interesting. And this one uh, provides both right. those things. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, fantastic, Mr. Fox. One of one of the Wes Anderson greats, and uh, a shame that not more people have seen it. Yeah, I think this is really where he like started to uh, understand what kind of films he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you watch this week? So this week I watched a blockbuster sequel. I went to the theaters and I saw Kingsman: The Golden Circle, the sequel to Matthew Vaughn's Kingsman, which came out. What was it? Twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Yeah. Something like that, uh, and kind of yeah. surprised everybody with how over the top fun it was, and just some some wonderful imagery, and uh, uh, you know the violence and action was very stylistically shot. And uh, Kingsman came out and surprised a lot of people. Wound up being a lot of people's favorite movie of that year. Um, so a lot of people were excited for Kingsman Two: The Golden Circle, and I was also pretty excited. I, I don't know that I was like falling out of my seat to go see it, but uh, I went to the theaters this week and finally finally caught it. And you know what? I, I have to say this one missed the mark just a little bit. Um, it's not... It's it, sad to hear. It, it is, and I, I'm going to talk about it a fair bit here, so uh, if you don't want to hear any spoilers about Kingsman 2 The Golden Circle, uh, I'm going to tell you right now there's not a whole lot to spoil about this film. There is a little twist in here, but it's kind of lazily written. Um they gave it all away in the trailer, in the marketing material, right? Yeah, I think they did. Uh, I don't know. I didn't follow the marketing too closely, but it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me because it's not very like harped upon in the uh, in the movie itself. But regardless, uh, this movie follows uh, the exploits of a British independent intelligence agency called Kingsman, uh, spe- specifically of a character named Eggie, who was. Uh, uh, the main character of the first film, he was an orphan. Eggsy! Eggsy, they call him Eggy sometimes, it's the same thing. Damn it. Uh, but uh, but he, he was an orphan, and or, or a street rat, or whatever, and he got adopted by the, these Kingsman secret agents who trained him as one of their agents, and the first movie is following his, his training, and then his rise to agent status as he saves the world from Samuel L. Jackson's uh, wonderfully bizarre villain that he, he portrays in that one. And this one follows uh, him as a secret agent as he uh, continues to try and save the world. The Kingsmen are attacked by a mysterious uh, drug peddler played by Julianne Moore, um, who is is hilarious in this. She another great villain. Uh, and then the Kingsmen kind of get wiped out, except for a couple of the main characters, and so they go join the Statesmen in America, and Channing Tatum is there, Pedro Pascal is there, Halle Berry and Jeff Bridges are there, and it's a good old romp trying to save the world again. And uh, this movie is really, really fun in a lot of places, and I have to give it credit for that. I was a little bored during the start of it because the opening was very poorly edited and poorly written, but once it got into the meat of its story, it was really, really entertaining, just like the first one was. Basically, everything with the statesman in this movie was fantastic. Channing Tatum kind of has a brief time on the screen, but he's obviously enjoyable. Jeff Bridges, Halle Berry, Pedro Pascal, they're all really fun in this movie, and 
the more time we got to spend with them, the better the movie was. It just kind of suffered when it went outside of that. Uh, I guess my big knocks on this film, like I said, the opening was very poorly edited. It, it felt kind of lazily put together, like it didn't know how it wanted to start the story it was telling. Uh, there's a scene probably about 15 or 20 minutes into the movie that I felt like the movie could have started there and then been a lot more interesting just kind of jumping into it rather than having this kind of trickle-in build-up that didn't really provide a whole lot for the film. Uh, the writing in this one feels a lot sloppier. There's a twist, and spoiler alert right here, uh, Pedro Pascal is not really working for uh, the main bad guy, but he's working against the Kingsman because he thinks all people who do drugs should be killed or something. I don't know. His character motivations are completely nonsensical, and it's a lazy twist <laughs> to make a guy this close to the, the character as a villain. Uh, it's completely predictable from early on in the movie. Uh, it doesn't really shock anyone or provide any substance to the film whatsoever. I, th I thought it was a terrible... It's kind of random. Yeah, it was a terrible bit of writing, and it didn't even make the final confrontation interesting, except for a kind of fun fight scene, which they worked in, but they could have written that in a lot more creatively, I felt like. So, uh, the writing's sloppy at times, and it's never sloppier than Elton John is in this movie. Uh, he, what the fuck? He, well, Elton John has been kidnapped by... Uh, the main bad guy in this, and he's being forced to play piano for her at her uh, secret hideout in the middle of the jungle or whatever. And it's kind of a funny bit. Like, Elton John shows up in a couple scenes, and you're like, ah, Elton John cameo, okay. But then they keep fucking bringing Elton John back, and he has a, an action scene where he fights someone, and then he saves one of the main characters, and then he keeps, like, swooping in last second and having quippy one-liners. And I'm like... I fucking get it. You got Elton John to do this movie. Please stop writing him into scenes because it's incredibly distracting. Uh, there is some heavy-handed uh, kind of morals delivered about how people view the war on drugs in this movie, and I don't think those are entirely effective or necessary in the film. Uh, but really, at its core, this is another Kingsman movie I'd say 75% of it is is fun and really tries to chase that spirit of the first one and does it pretty well. It's just that other 25% that winds up feeling sloppy and like it kind of missed the mark. But uh, but this movie was always faced with an uphill battle in my mind because the first one was so out of the, out of the blue good that I don't think anybody was going to recapture that magic with the sequel. So that's my that's my quick rundown there of, of Kingsman. Uh, I know you haven't seen this yet, but I have a question. Hit me with it. Why is it two and a half hours long? Right, and th that's part of my complaint with it. Sloppy editing. Uh, like I said, a, a big chunk of this movie felt like it could have been cut out, and a lot of the fucking stuff with Elton John could have been cut out, but uh, it, it just seems like they didn't really know where they were writing it at times, or how to put a scene that they wanted to have into the movie so they would have weird build-up to it, and it, it kind of drags the movie out. Um... I don't think it necessarily suffers because of that, uh, not just because of the runtime, because the back end of this movie is where a lot of the good action is packed in, and so it feels really quick-paced and fun. Um, it doesn't feel like it drags on necessarily, but but especially during the, the first half and kind of the middle of the film, you can tell that it could have been trimmed down a little bit and, and a little more expeditious with the story, so... 
it didn't need to be two and a half hours long. I looked at the runtime as well before I went in and went, holy fuck, I'm going to spend two and a half hours watching a sequel to Kingsman. <laughs> are you are you glad that they made the sequel like for the for the action scenes and the scenes of the statesman that you mentioned are you glad that they like took the time to like show us that storyline it's a, that's a tough question uh on one hand yes because the action is a lot of fun uh they've set it up for channing tatum to be an integral character in a third movie if they want to do that and i'm slowly becoming a huge Channing Tatum fan so I would love to see him as part of a movie because he really didn't have much of a role in this one um I don't know if they'll actually pursue that but uh but but it opens a lot of doors for what they can do in the future without pigeonholing it into just like we have to do more spy save the world stuff you know it it still leaves it really open-ended so I'm glad they made it just because I like this franchise at the same time it would have been kind of cool to have Kingsman be this bizarre one-off movie that that got adapted from a graphic novel and then shocked everybody and then never made any other movies related to it you know it it, it kind of it kind of devalues the first one in my mind because now i know that we're going to get film after film of this probably as long as they can get money out of it uh but at the same time there's a lot of good stuff here and it, it is really creative filmmaking a lot of the time it just uh it suffers story-wise a little bit uh the characters are all really really interesting that's one of the big uh big points of the first one is these these iconic characters like Eggsy and colin firth's uh character you know they just pop off the screen um and they're really they really stick with you afterwards the uh, merlin character you know they're behind the scenes tech guy for their uh their agency these are all great characters and the characters they introduce in this one are still really great so i i don't know yes i'm glad they made this movie it's a hard question to answer but uh but it just felt like they could have put a little more effort into this one and come out with a better product got it but it's matthew vaughn so Mm -hmm. i mean i'm not really expecting like a plot here (laughs) right no nobody was like and that's the thing like i don't know I didn't really define my expectations before I went into this movie, and I guess I should have done that better because the first one, the plot is just way over the top ridiculous, and Samuel L. Jackson's character makes very little sense, but he works in the film because it's so over the top. Uh, it, it just meshes stylistically a lot better, and this one uh, misses that a little bit, but it, yeah. it tries. It, it really just feels like it's kind of rehashing the same stuff in the first one. You know, you have a a bizarre villain trying to overthrow the world and kill a bunch of people in some way and it's up to the kingsman to stop him and you know it works i guess it's fun but uh didn't didn't really capitalize on the opportunity it it had to be be something fresh so would you recommend this for someone like me who enjoyed the first movie yeah i think if you liked the first one you'll you'll like this one i now i don't know if i have two and a half hours to spend you know what i mean right and so i would say this is not one you need to rush to theaters to see this is something that like catch it when it pops up on hbo rent it at a red box have a good time with it when you have some free time on a weekend don't go out and pay money in the theater to see this unless you're really interested in it and then go support it obviously you know we like theaters and we like supporting films but it's not a must see on the big screen by any chance um unless you're just a a a diehard fan or want want an entertaining 
time at the theater, but uh, but people who liked it don't need to like the first one. Don't need to rush out and see this. It's 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 good. It's not great. So you're saying I should take my money and go see Lego the Lego Ninjago movie? I've heard that one is uh, arguably worse than this, but. Uh, I don't know. I didn't see Lego Ninjago yet. Maybe we'll talk about that instead of Blade Runner next week. <laughs> no, everyone needs to sit. I don't care how much you make per hour because I'm probably making less than you. Everyone needs to go see Blade Runner next uh, this Friday. Yes, and also I would recommend uh, renting the original Blade Runner uh, off, right. off Amazon or something beforehand. And a little disclaimer, if you haven't seen Blade Runner and you are interested in watching both of these movies because you're hearing about all this hype, the original Blade Runner is not a movie that holds your hand and it doesn't ease you into this world or really explain a lot of what's happening. You have to pay attention to it. So put your fucking phone down if you're going to go watch Blade Runner because it's a goddamn cinematic masterpiece and you owe it that much, all right? Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of theater etiquette, I just have to reiterate again. I saw a movie last night and people were talking. Shut your trap. <laughs> I'm fucking serious. Stop yapping during the film, okay? Somebody had a laser pointer at uh, Kingsman, but they put it <laughs> no, but they they used it during the trailers and then put it away during the film. And I was like, a respectful laser pointer? What is this world coming <laughs> to? <laughs> That's so weird. It was very strange. So, uh, so yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox, watch it. Kingsman, eh, maybe go see it if you're really interested. I guess. Blade Runner, fucking watch it right now. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Go see it. Watch it Friday. As soon as you can. I got my ticket for Thursday night, 7 p.m. I'm pumped. You know I'm going to watch it. All right. Yeah. Let's get let's get excited. Movies are good, Connie. We have fun with movies. These were fun movies this week. You know, for all its flaws, I had a good time watching Kingsman the Golden Circle. You had a good time watching Fantastic Mr. Fox. I did. And we're going to go into some really interesting, talk about some really interesting movies next week. So if you listen to this, come back next week. Our two, our two viewers, <laughs> we, we need you. <laughs> All right. I'm Tyler. He's Connie. That's Connie. This has been the Catch Crusaders. Bye. Bye.